Hello, this is a Toby Haydokes who's rammed that breaks with convention by being recorded at a convention. I'm being very naughty, ladies and gentlemen, because I have grabbed somebody who has given me the highlight of the 50th anniversary weekend by her reaction to her uh, scene in the haunted house in The Chase. But I have, at this stage, about seven Doctor Who stories left to cover in this quest, and one of them is two weeks back in 1965, The Rescue, but it was her first role, her first appearance in Doctor Who. So I'm going to ask her who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who, and then find out what her memories of those two weeks are. I'm Maureen O'Brien. I played Vicky. And, um, well, those two weeks, it started earlier than that when um, uh, Harry Moore, who had taught me acting at the Central School of Speech and Drama, called me in Liverpool. I was at the Everyman. I was very happy at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool. And um, he called me. Oh, no, he sent me a telegram. A telegram. That's what people did in those days. Uh, saying, chance of work on telly ring me so I called him and I said but Harry I've already got a job he said look darling um, this is and he told me all about it and they're looking for a new girl and uh, I think you'd be very good and blah 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 so I went down to London and he coached me I did a piece for my audition I did a piece for a member of the wedding by Carson McCullers and I and uh, I went down, I stayed with Harry and Cicely Berry, his wife, and, um, and he coached me. And I remember doing it on the kitchen table. I was, I, was, I was doing my audition piece on the kitchen table while Harry looked at me like a camera, as it were, you know. And, um, and he was a wonderful teacher. And I, so then I did the audition, which I don't remember at all. I remember meeting Verity, and I suppose the audition must have come after that. Um, I was very awed by Verity. I mean, I, I remained awed by Verity. I remained rather frightened of her, although she was terribly nice and was nothing really to be afraid of. Oh, I've, I've got to say goodbye to Wendy Padbury. Say I'm goodbye. sorry. No, this is very, um, this is fine. This oh, is good. Oh, darling, my dear. It's been so lovely to meet you. It's really lovely. I mean, I'm... So, where, 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 where were you we? You were being awed by Verity. Oh, yeah, well, I was awed by Verity. Anyway, that's beside the point, but... Um, I don't remember doing the actual audition, um, a sort of camera test, as it were. I don't remember that. Um, I remember all the people at the Everyman Theatre saying, oh, you've got to do it if you get it, you know, you've got to do it. And I was saying, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very keen on telly and blah, 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 like that, you know. And they all said, oh, you'd be terribly rich and um, you'll get over £100 a week and you'll be things like that. I wasn't very moved by that either. And in fact, I got 30 guineas, which was unheard of wealth. I was earning six pounds a week at the Everyman and um, working harder than I've ever worked before or since. And uh, so, um, so then I began, I remember my first day, I remember Caroline Ford coming to the rehearsal room in Wood Lane um, to say hello and good luck and all that. I was so touched, I couldn't believe it. Isn't that a nice thing to do? And um, so that was very sweet. And 
I remember how uh, much older everybody seemed than me. I mean, I, I don't know how old Jackie and Russell were, but they can't have been that much older than me. I mean, only in their 30s. But everyone seemed so sophisticated and Londonish and sort of... Um, I don't know. They all went to very posh restaurants and talked about quiche and things like that, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't my... It wasn't. I, I don't know. I've, I felt the whole world of television seemed to me then to be terribly middle-class, really... Um, not at all like the world of theatre, which was very everybody in it, kind of mucking mucking in together, you know, and doing throwing it together and what. And um, and I remember being terrified because I thought I'd never learn the script in time. Um, and I remember being totally astonished at everybody saying good luck, good luck studio, good luck, good luck before the recording because without an audience, it didn't seem to me to be frightening at all. It was just what you'd rehearsed all week and now you'd rehearsed all day with the cameras and now you were going to do it, you know. It didn't seem... I was never... But I'm so grateful to Doctor Who, really, because doing television every week for nearly a year, however long it was, um, you just got so used to television. I mean, and it was never scary. You know, later on in my life, I think it would have been scary. And uh, as it was... I never felt afraid of a camera any more than... I did feel very afraid of a radio microphone for a long, long time until I cracked it. And then I just loved it and fell in love with the microphone. But the television camera, never. I always felt the camera was like... like a really great lover, you know, who's really in love with you, who watches every move you make, who listens to every word you say, who gazes at you with loving attention. That's how I felt about the camera from the start. And I just love it, you see. I love it. That's a fabulous insight. I, I mean, we're here talking about Doctor Who, and I always feel bad on behalf of Doctor Who fans that we meet some fine actors and everybody always asks them about Doctor Who. So mm. if I was to ask you about a job that you think you did really good work yeah. on and that you, you would like people to ask you about, what would you say that that? Oh, my God. Well, one of the best roles I ever did was Florence Bravo in The Poisoning of Charles Bravo in the mid-'70s. It was directed by John Glenister. It had the most wonderful cast, and it was a great role. I mean, she actually lived, so you couldn't do... You, they, they had to write a great woman. They couldn't soften it down, make it silly. It had to be a really great woman, and... It was a wonderful experience doing it, and and it was a wonderful three-part drama. And uh, it's gone. It's gone. There is no recording of it. There is no trace of it. And I just beg anybody, any of these people who are... Oh, I should have talked to this wonderful guy today, yeah. <laughs> Philip. Phil, yeah. I should have talked to him about it because he goes around the world hunting for stuff. And if he came across that, oh, well, he could ask me anything. And I would, I mean, I would love it. And if I could, if I had a copy of that that I could show to John Glenister, you know, while he's still around, it would just be bliss. I mean, I would, I, and I, yeah, I really loved that. That was, that was fantastic. I did some wonderful roles. There were six years of my life from, from the mid-70s to the very early 80s 
when I just did one wonderful role after another in one wonderful drama after another for the BBC and also for ITV. And I, and there is not a trace left of any of it. Uh, I had an agent whom I left, and stupidly after I left him, I said, by the way, because he was one of the very few people who had a recording device, so he had videoed all the stuff. And, uh, and I said, could I please buy those videos from you? And he said, they're all scrapped. He was just so angry that I'd left him. Oh. And, and, uh, and it was an unforgivable thing to do. But, I mean, they recorded over, he said. Cultural vandalism. Well, look, I promise yes. to take up two minutes of your time. You give me five times that. Thank you so much. Uh, but this podcast goes out for free. I don't get paid. We don't charge for it. So what I do is I ask the listeners to donate to a charity. So what is your charity of choice? Mind. Mind. Yes. Brilliant. It's been a great pleasure. I've not met you. are one of the few Doc Two people I've not met and worked with before. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Brian, for me too. You. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Bless you. Thank You're you very great. much. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You really are great. Oh, thank you. Now, that was naughty of me, because... Now, that was naughty of me, because I promised not to do them at conventions if I could. Why? Because there's nothing in the rules. The rules was just to get an anecdote from every story. But I've, I'm in the fortunate position of being invited to a lot of conventions, and I could just sort of mop everybody up uh, were I to do that. Uh, also, I think it's unfair on the guests to nobble them after they've just done a panel or something, but I'd arranged this with Maureen prior to this, and this was the only place that uh, I was ever going to get a chance to speak to her, because she lives in France, and doesn't do many events anyway, so... And because I'd only got seven stories left. The others, for those of you interested, because I am revealing in Podcast 100 whether I succeeded in my task. As you'll have noted, this was on the 23rd to 24th of November weekend, so by that point, I only then had to cover Power of the Daleks, The Leisure Hive, The Horns of Nymon, two stories next to each other. And typically, The Leisure Hive was one of the first I got to cover, possibly, because when I was filming an adventure in space and time, one of the extras revealed that he'd been a Famazi. And I said, oh, well, we should, we should talk in a minute. And we nearly did, nearly did. And then we just started to chat uh, and we got our call to go filming. Uh, and I never saw him again. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a shame. But no, no, it's the Leisure Hive. There'll be loads of people I can talk to about that. Uh, missed opportunities. Um, so naive I was at the beginning of the process. Grab people. Um, and then another set of stories that are next to each other, because it was the the, the, the other three were um, The Awakening, uh, Frontios, and Resurrection of the Daleks. All not covered at this point. And the only... Uh, latter series story to be covered is Time of the Angels and Flesh and Stone. So that is where I stood when I did this interview with Maureen O'Brien. We will find out whether I covered those in the following month on Podcast 100 which is out very very soon. Uh, because this was short I'm sorry about that but uh, I'm just pleased we've got Maureen who speaks about Doctor Who so infrequently. Uh, the next one uh, is another special release that is with another companion from later on in the classic series run who has some very interesting things to say. Here's a preview. In the meantime, please give to Maureen's charity, which is Mind, which is www.mind.org.uk. Thank you.
UK. You know, once you get into the world of gossip and conspiracy theories, and oh, everybody's very moody, and oh, this person doesn't like this person, and oh, and oh, he's just obsessed with money. Whatever people say, it's almost certainly not quite like that. Yeah. So my experience of Anthony on the commentary is exactly Anthony as I knew him. I never found him a difficult person. Uh, I felt he was funny. He was very witty. Um, was he strange? Well, for God's sake, what actor isn't strange? I'm strange. We're all strange. It probably was strange. But he did very little harm. There's a novelty. Actors may be strange, but they do a great deal less harm than a lot of people who are less strange. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Romance of Crime. Hmm. Carbonaceous asteroid, I'd say. Traces of refractories. Accelerated decay of aluminium 26, etc. We're on the fringe of a simulated gravity field. I'd say they're using remote gravitic excitation. Thank you. Wilkin. I've found Carl. Carl? It's not pretty. He's been flattened. Duodlinium. So possibly an Earth colony? On an asteroid? Strange choice. Well, we won't know unless we get inside. Follow me. Do not attempt to communicate. Any attempt to escape will result in immediate execution. Yes, it usually does. All right. The controls aren't responding! The engines must have been interfered with shall impact the planet's surface at terminal velocity. You must save us, Doctor! What do you think I'm trying to do? No! Stay back! No! Sorry. More stairs, K-9? Don't worry. I can carry you. Really? Wouldn't it be better to carry K-9? I think you might struggle with me. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who. The English Way of Death. <laughs> oh, Percy, sweet one. Your tails are marvellous, but I wonder how much seasoning you add to the pot. Harriet, the tail is in the telling. Is anything wrong? Uh, just the narrow fussing, I expect. I'll turn it off. What the place is... Is that that closed chair? Sir, the, the, the noise hurts. Stay down, man. Was that? Nothing important. According to these readings, that's a transmission on a spatio-temporal frequency. Oh, interesting. Nobody in this time period can have receivers operating on extratemporaneous wavelengths. What? What's happening? I'm terribly sorry, young lady. I very nearly ran into you. <laughs> I fell into the road. I blame the local seismic activity. Mr. Stackhouse. Construction of the first project proceeds satisfactorily. And the second? Work on cerebral links continue. More nourishment is needed. Miss Alostro? Yeah. Take a look through this on the picture page. There must be no errors. He appears rather distinctive, especially if he wears that hat. There you are, Percy, you naughty boy. No, this is against the rules, Harriet. I'll have to destroy it. One fiddling flying boxing. June 1930, Southern England. Minor tremor looted at 1747 hours today. 
It must have been caused by somebody or something alien to this time continuum. What the hell? You... You're coming with me. Keep back. I don't want to have to kill you. Well then, don't. You have completed your examination. But you can't be serious. You can't want it to actually destroy the world. Big finish. We love stories.